I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. No one knows what lies ahead. Don't try to. music of my guest today on the program, Rosie Carney. Let me tell you a little bit about Rosie Carney. Now, before I do that, let me tell you a little story about myself. I was in seventh grade. I was on the bus and everything was fine. Life was good. I had friends. I was happy. There was a little bit of uh, 12-year-old bliss going on in my life. And then suddenly, some kid came over to me and started to give me some shit. Why? I don't know. I have no idea. But out of nowhere, he just started giving it to me. Now, I felt an immediate crisis sitting there in that bus seat. He was hurling insults, things about me I'd never thought about before, and a lot of red flags about my identity were suddenly being raised. Now, I had a friend who was the biggest guy in school, And we originally became pals because he heard me doing impressions of teachers, and it made him laugh. That's how our friendship got started, and he always looked out for me. So there I am on the bus getting bullied. We're about five seconds into it, and my friend came over, and he punched this guy in the face. And the guy went down immediately, right there on the floor of the bus, bleeding profusely and crying. So my experience with bullying lasted about five seconds. I was lucky. But you know what? Most people aren't that lucky, and I recognize that. So when people talk to me about bullying, I remember those five seconds. It doesn't sound like much, but things could have gone very poorly for me had someone not intervened. That would have gone on and on and on, all through seventh grade, all through eighth grade, Whatever kind of weird stuff that guy was saying about me probably would have stuck, and my life would have been miserable. Now, that's what happens to a lot of people. They get bullied. It sticks. It doesn't go away. It only gets worse. And that panic that I felt in those five seconds becomes a permanent place that people occupy for years. And that sounds like torture. You know why it sounds like torture? Because it is. Now, My guest today, Rosie Carney, experienced that kind of torture at a very young age. She was only 10, and the toll that it took on her 
Well, I mean, first of all, it made her utterly miserable, but it also brought upon anxiety, eating disorders, thoughts of suicide, and depression. It was hellish. In her moving blog post, I Am a Reason, Carney recalls, I was so alone and afraid. Life is confusing enough when you're 10 or 11 years old. You shouldn't have to contemplate taking your own life at such a young age. I grew to hate myself so much. I hated looking at myself in the mirror. I blamed myself for all the events that went on in that school. It still saddens me to this day, knowing that the teachers knew, but still failed to do anything about it. Once she went to secondary school, things started to get a little bit better for Rosie Carney. The bullying was forgotten. The weird events of those old days were gone, and she was making new friends and starting over. But the attendant feelings were still there. She writes the following. I felt so relieved and happy for the first time in a long time to finally make some friends. I was so grateful that that part of my life was over, even though it wasn't. The feelings never left me. I felt so depressed and so anxious all the time. I didn't know what to do with myself. I didn't want to tell my friends. I didn't want to weird them out with my suicidal thoughts. So I decided to ignore the feelings and suffer in silence. I remember when I first started to write music, it was the only thing I had that would help ease the pain I was feeling within myself. It helped a great deal with the pain. Now, I can't really think of any other way to put this, so I'll just say it. Rosie Carney had a full plate of pain. By age 18, she'd already gone through a lifetime of torment. Yeah, there was the bullying, there was the depression, there was the anxiety, there was the thoughts of suicide, there was the eating disorder, and then there were two sexual assaults, one at 14 and one at 17. Oh, and add this to the mix. At 15, she was signed to a record deal, and at 18, she was dropped from that record deal. Aside from dealing with all of this, the problem was every new pain opened up the stitches of all the old pains. Carney recalls, along with everything else that was happening, I didn't know how I would make it through this without trying to hurt myself again. I felt so alone, friendless and hopeless. It took me a long time to come to terms with everything. My whole life just seemed like a cloud of fog. Well, when the fog finally cleared, Rosie Carney had been through even more. A suicide attempt, hospitalization, and coming to terms with what had happened to her. But you know what? She did come to terms with it. And as soon as she did, the healing began. She writes the following. I still struggle at times like us all. I have good days and bad days. But little by little, I am becoming the rosy I have always wanted to be. I feel confident within myself and about my career. Now, I'll let Rosie tell you about the good days and the bad days. But let me tell you a little bit about her career. That career has gotten off to a great start with a debut album called Bear. And it is just that a startling collection of stripped-down numbers that are stark and immediate. Even the lusher tracks ripple with a quiet urgency, bringing to mind a heavenly mix of Patty Griffin's Living with Ghosts and Beth Orton's Trailer Park. Carney's compositions are poetic, honest, and vulnerable, but the whole collection is infused with strength and resolve. It's truly moving work. Now, I didn't mean to spend the bulk of this introduction focusing on the pain that Carney went through, but these songs were born of that pain. And had they not been born, there might not have been any healing. This is a great example of how art can be therapeutic and emotionally restorative. 
And the fact is, this is quite simply a truly beautiful and stirring album. I'll let Rosie tell you the rest. This is a great chat, and the story has a happy ending. She's touring everywhere, her album has gotten rave reviews, and she's been streamed on Spotify 30 million times. She's crushing it, and she was super fun to talk to, so let's get to it. But before we do, a quick reminder. If you see someone getting bullied on the bus, shut that down as fast as you can, okay? All right, let's get to it. This is my chat with Rosie Carney. Enjoy it right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. Yeah, expectations. My mum and dad have always told me expectations lead to disappointments, and that's definitely true. So it's it's better to approach things with an open mind and no expectations. So then there's like, you know, you end up, I don't know, you just, you, you don't end up necessarily being disappointed if it doesn't meet your expectations. I think it's unfair to have expectations as well. Now, you're not ruling out optimism. No. No, like, so you can, you can like approach, <laughs> you can be enthusiastic, like, of course, and be optimistic. But I just feel like, say, if just in a relationship, like just it could be any relationship, if you have expectations of someone, which is okay as well to have, um, if somebody doesn't meet your expectations, then you're just going to end up being disappointed, if, if you get me. I do. I do. When you, when you decided to embark on a musical career, did you, mm-hmm. you know, being as young as you as you were when you started, did you feel um, that it was hard not to have expectations and it was hard to sort oh of... Oh, my God, right? yeah. So I I definitely had expectations. Like I said, I've, I've learned the hard way in, in this sense because when I got signed when I was 15, like, um, obviously I thought things would be a lot easier. I thought that, you know, oh, wow, maybe I can be a pop star. But that was not the case at all. And... um you know, I feel like I <laughs> I went through like an unnecessarily amount of uh, of hard times for me to to get where I am now. So I've I've definitely tried to like reel back my expectations and just kind of go with the natural flow of things. Did that experience? I know it wasn't a great experience, but did that sort of give you some scar tissue to kind of toughen it up for the future? I mean, I I say to people now like. Although it was so hard um, to deal with at the time, and like I'm still very much healing from everything that's happened, it's I'm so grateful for everything that's happened because it's like strengthened me. It's helped me, you know. It's I've kind of looked at it as character building. It's it's helped me to become who I am now. What happened with all that label stuff, and and what kind of state were you in at the time? It just, do you know what? I guess it just wasn't meant to be. Um, I was very young, like I was a child when I started getting uh, label interest. I was 15 years old, you know, and I just had a lot going on. And, you know, I wasn't very well at the time when I got signed. So I definitely feel like it was fate that it didn't work out because there was only so much energy I could bring to each session. So I just think, yeah, it just, it wasn't my time. And thank God it wasn't because now I feel like it is my time now and I feel so much stronger and so much sure of who I am as a person and as a musician. So, You know, a lot of our audience are aspiring singer-songwriters, aspiring musicians. And it's, can you just explain what, like, it's not uncommon for a young artist to be paired with 
songwriters or different musicians. That's something that, no, that's very regular. That's, that's just like, a, it's very regular. It's like a development thing. It's to help the artist to develop. It's to help kind of find, narrow down and like work on your sound. And just for me personally, it didn't, I didn't enjoy that, although it did help me. And I did work with some incredible people, like really incredible producers in the industry. But yeah, it's basically just to develop the artist which I think I wasn't ready enough. I wasn't ready to develop my sound because, I, you know, I was still developing as a person. I was so young. And, you know, it, it's in ways it's not uncommon for that to happen. It's also not uncommon for no. it not to work out. Exactly. Um, you know, and if it doesn't work out, well, it's fine. You know, just because you're unable to, um, you know, make music with other people, it doesn't mean you've lost your ability to to continue to make music you know you start off doing it by yourself so that's something I reminded myself when I was dropped by Polydor is just you know I started this for a reason I can very much do this myself. How did you emotionally recalculate your career after that happened? So I it was very my confidence was fairly shattered for a little while after all of that happened I spent so long um, writing music for worrying about people like the people who were going to listen to it you know I was trying to come up with something mainstream I was writing with other producers and I guess when when it happened when I got dropped I I didn't write for a while because I was just so hesitant I kind of forgot how to do it by myself and I forgot the reason why I started writing music in the first place and that took me a, a little while to kind of get back into it back into it but whenever I am um, I did give myself the creative spirit, space to express myself again that's when I kind of realized that you know I really wanted to just write really honest music and that helped me then emotionally to you know regain that confidence because a lot of people will go okay forget it I'm gonna go be a lawyer (laughs) (laughs) yeah I mean that that's one thing it's it's always been a constant for me is I've always wanted to pursue music I've always wanted to find a way to make it work and don't get me wrong, I've had my days where I wake up and I'm like, wow, I could I could just move to, I don't know, a village and be a florist and just, you know, <laughs> brew coffee or something like that. But, you know, I would I really would be kidding myself if I, if I said that I wanted to do anything else. Like, I feel like my sole purpose on in my life is just to create music is what I'm here to do. And if I'm not creating music, then I just feel like I'm not being myself. I'm not expressing myself, you know. When just looking back editorially or subconsciously, do you think you knew it wasn't working anyway? Yeah. Oh, my God, for sure. I mean, I wasn't happy. I was unwell physically and emotionally. It just didn't feel right. I was frustrated. I was tired, you know. It just definitely, it wasn't right. Nothing felt right. And and there were times when I tried to kid myself and think, you know, Oh, you know, it's gonna it's gonna happen. It's obviously now is the time. It's not gonna happen again, which you know, it wasn't wrong. I mean, I I was wrong about because you can get a second chance, which I've been very lucky to have had. But yeah, it didn't feel right. It never really felt right. So well, it's incredible to think about that you can take such a blow career-wise before you've even finished mm-hmm. high school. I know, I know. It's it's it was such a whirlwind. So much happened in such a. a short space of time like I did end up dropping out of school because I was just there was so much demand from the label and just because I was I was very unwell at the time so I kind of had to focus my energy into getting better so I could be strong enough to pursue my career but yeah it happened in such a short amount of time 
what changed for you artistically when you kind of confronted the idea that, look, I'm not well, I need to really work on that. And as you worked mm-hmm. on that and as you approached that very bravely, I should add, because sometimes mm-hmm. it takes people 50 years to face that stuff. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. What happened to you creatively? What did you notice? How did the work shift or change? Well, I realized that <clears throat> music was a platform for me to express myself and that I realized that it was cathartic for me and that the reason I write music is to help myself get through experiences that I'm going through. Like, you know, I kind of pour my heart into every song and I guess when I realized that it's very much a healing process for me to write a song, well, yeah, that's, you know. And is is creativity a way of nursing yourself back to health? Definitely. I mean, when I'm writing a song, I'm I'm very much writing it um, about how I'm feeling. I'm, I'm, you know, it's a release for me. I'm venting. It's cathartic. It's it's a very therapeutic process for me. It can be hard. Like it can be hard, especially when I'm writing a song and it can be about something that's hurt me. And it's it's kind of like a therapy session for me, you know. Yeah, and it, and you have to sort of. Um, I know that Wordsworth said that you know poetry is an emotion reflected in tranquility. Do you feel that mm. when you are creating, do you feel that you need that tranquility to confront the sort of storm of what you've endured? I do. I, I just need, you know, I just, my songs, they have to be, I have to be honest in my songs. Otherwise, I feel like I'm not, I'm not, allow, I'm not giving myself the room to grow. I'm not allowing myself to move forward as a, as a person, you know. I had I had this thing that happened to me when I was in college. I loved this girl, and she didn't was not interested, and oh, no. not at all. And uh, and I remember I went home that night and I wrote because mm-hmm. I'm a poet and I and I and a writer and I wrote and I remember I had this feeling, Rosie, right when I was done, I was so happy mm-hmm. with what I'd written that I I thought yeah. it was a, a much fairer exchange. Like I would rather have the poem than the girl. Yeah. Because you, you, you know, I feel like you, you get to know yourself better as well. You, it's like a real intimate experience to create something, especially when it's like real raw emotion that you're dealing with and you're given the opportunity to like get to know yourself better. And I feel like, especially after I've written songs that have been about hard situations, I feel closer to myself, you know? One of of the things I love about you is that you seem to know really early on that you were a musician, you were a writer. Can you talk a little bit, and again, I think it's really helpful for our audience to hear, how old were mm-hmm. you when you first realized, like, you self-identified with being an artist? Well, I actually remember it. So I, when we moved to Ireland when I was 10 years old, my family moved from South uh, England, from Hampshire. And, like, we've always been given uh, instruments growing up like we've always had pianos we've always had guitars and we were never told that we weren't allowed to play them like even if we were on the verge of breaking them like my mum and dad they were never like put that down don't touch that we were always allowed to express ourselves and so when I moved to Ireland I started like writing music on the piano and writing these little songs that I'd play and then as I got a bit older when I was about 12 that's when I picked up the guitar and I started playing the guitar and I remember when I was I think I was 13 or 14, I, I wrote my first song, What You've Been Looking For, which is actually the opening track on my album. And I got my parents to come in and listen to it, and I played it to them, and they were just, like, so blown away and so proud. And it was then I realized, you know, yep, 
I'm going to be a singer. That's what I want. That's what I want to do. <laughs> I, it's funny because like the, the poetry I wrote when I was 13 shall remain mm-hmm. in a box in a closet. So, I mean, you really have arrived fully formed in the sense that a song you wrote when you were 13 is one that has actually made it yeah. to an album. Well, it was the, it's it was quite a symbolic it's quite a symbolic song because it's the song that got me signed. It's the song it was the first song I wrote. It was the first song I recorded, and it was the song that I sent out to labels. And yeah, it was the song that started everything. So I thought it definitely has earned its place on the on my first album. You know, what, in terms of like your your family background, were were there musicians in your family, or are you sort of an outlier? So. I feel like some of my, my dad says that um, his grandma was really good at the piano and you know my, so my mum's family, my both of my mum and dad's family are Irish but my my granddad, he is a poet himself and he writes beautiful poetry especially from having to, you know, uh, he was forced to move from Downings in Ireland where we live now to London and He's, you know, he's all. I've had very artistic people around me growing up, and my mum and dad, they always, always played amazing music as we were growing up. Like, I've been exposed to such amazing music as I've been growing up, and they really taught me how to love music and how to be passionate about it, and that's where I kind of got my love for it, you know. What were you listening to growing up? Oh my God, everything. So <laughs> my mum and dad, they play everything from classical music to rock music. Like I remember the first time my dad showed me Stairway to Heaven by Led Zeppelin and I was absolutely blown away. I was like, whoa, shit, that's the coolest thing, <laughs> you know? And, you know, everything. We just listened to everything. Who, you're getting compared a lot to Joni Mitchell and I wonder if oh she was someone God, who was man. on your radar, you know, when you were, when you were younger. Definitely. I mean, that's also who my mum and dad have been playing. You know, all those people, Joni Mitchell, Crosby, Stills and Nash, Neil Young, you know, all those. I've, Joni Mitchell is a big, um, a big influence of mine. Her record Blue is just like, lyrically, it's just, you know, I, oh, wow. She t- she's kind of helped to teach me the, you know, she taught me how to love words and how to be wordy and all that kind of stuff. Did you always feel out of step in terms of, with your generation um, in terms of what they were listening to? A little. I've never been like a massive lover of mainstream music, especially when I was growing up. When I I was always listening to older music when I was younger, you know, like when my friends were listening to <clears throat> like pop music, I would have been listening to like Frank Sinatra or someone. Yeah. So I've I have been a little bit now. Like I've learned to like appreciate and respect good pop music, and it's actually really like even like scientifically a a good song it's like it's incredible it's you know I, I can really respect it now but I was a bit of a I took pride in what I listened to growing up you know because my parents were always playing such cool music I was always like nah I'm gonna listen to my my old my old music <laughs> and what was it Joni Mitchell so emotionally direct did that appeal to you mm-hmm. yes I mean being a lover of music I think feeling that connection i get it with uh, justin vernon's music as well it's just like when you feel it's like an, an intimate experience when you listen to the music and you feel like you've been given this space where this artist is just being so open and honest with you and it's just like it's such an honor to be let in that way and speaking of being honest you 
mm-hmm. have been very, very forthright about the experiences you've gone through. Was that mm-hmm. a tough decision to go so public with what you have dealt with in your in your life? So, you know, it wasn't actually something that I dwelled on. It wasn't something that I had planned to do or something that I sat down and thought about doing for a while. I, I, I can remember the morning so well. I, I woke up and I started typing my story out. You know, I was like doing it for about an hour. And then when I finished, I just posted it without a thought. Um, I don't know why. I just like, I just remember feeling an urge to share it and, I know now that it was very important for me to share it and to be so open and vocal because I, I feel like, you know, I've, you know, it's such a good time to start a conversation because there is such a stigma, especially in the music industry and especially around the time I wrote Awake Me, which is about dealing with all of that stuff. You know, I've, I just feel like I just owed it to my listeners and I didn't have many when I, when I posted my story, but. Yeah, I mean, it was scary after I posted it. I remember I was just quite, and I still do get quite panicked. And I'm like, shit, there's so much that people know about me. And that, the, you know, you have to be brave and you have to be honest. I think that's what people want at the end of the day. They just want, they want something they can relate to. And they just want, we need honesty, you know. She sings sweet things to the ones that take her home after She's left stuck on her own, I know Dust grows Even when there is a breeze Can't move, can't grow When you fall on your knees
were you surprised by the reaction you got from your fans? Oh my god, I'm still surprised by it. Like within an hour, I received over a hundred messages from people opening up to me and sharing their stories, and I still do to this day. Like I still get messages from people sharing their their stories with me, which can be. You know, I have to protect myself because I'm really sensitive and I can, like, take on the energy of, of of stuff that doesn't, like, involve me. You know, I can really soak up the energy and let it affect me. But I was so overwhelmed by the response. And people always say that, you know, the artist really helps the fans. But didn't the fans in this case also really help you? Yeah. I mean, my fans, <laughs> I still, it's so crazy that I get to say that, that I have fans because it's just, it's so surreal, but <laughs> I have such lovely fans. I'm growing such a wonderful fan base and yeah, they help to create such a safe space for me and they're so supportive and, you know, I get messages from people saying, you know, you're doing great. We're so proud and it's just, it's the best thing. They're the most wonderful, caring people. It's a tricky business because being a public figure who plays music you're under the scrutiny of right like people mm -hmm. will always comment on um yep. people's physicality uh yep you know and so that that sort of is a vulnerable place to be does is that something that you're aware of that sort of scrutiny especially being a young woman in an industry that's mm -hmm. you've been so male dominated and it's a very vulnerable place do you think about that and how do you articulate that to yourself I do think about it, and it is something that can be quite intimidating, especially in the you know the current dynamic of things with everything that's happened, like the Me Too movement. Like it is hard to be in such a cutthroat industry being a female. But I guess I just I know what I'm here to do, and I don't want I'm not going to let anybody get in the way of that. If if you know what I mean, like so long as I keep my head screwed on, I keep my circle very close and small. I'm going to just power through, you know, regardless of what people may say, because we can put like hours of our energy, all our energy into dwelling over what somebody has said, but I can't let the comments of other people affect what I'm here to do. Otherwise, no one else is going to do it for me, you know? It's such a weird thing because it's like, I totally understand that, but if you write a song about something you've gone through, which was traumatic, right? I mean, mm -hmm. whatever it may be. And you write that song and it means the world to you because it was therapeutic and you did exactly mm -hmm. what you wanted to do and you put it on your mm -hmm. album and I'm not saying yep. you, I'm saying anybody and you get it out yep. there and then some reviewer <laughs> writes a review and says, I, that song didn't work. And it's like, I'm sorry, it's what? happened <laughs> to me. Yeah. No, no, this happened to me with my first album. So I, I got actually, I did actually get a couple of shitty reviews, which was like my first kind of time experiencing something like that. And at first I was like, obviously I was like really sad and like crying to my mom, like they hate me, they think I'm rubbish, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but it's so subjective and like, I'm not going to let the opinion of one person, I'm not going to first of all put this person on a pedestal and think that their opinion is more important than my own opinion of my work. I will respect it, but I'm not going to let the opinion of one person make me doubt myself and criticize myself more than I already do, you know? And I do because I'm a perfectionist and I feel like most creative people are perfectionists and we, we give ourselves a hard time. But once it's out there, I guess that's, you know, I put myself in this position and not everyone's going to like it. So, so long as I stay true to what I'm doing and I believe in it, which I do a hundred folds, then that's the most important thing. 
And then not what, to say that it's not like scary. <laughs> right. I, right. It probably never stops being scary. But um, and then conversely, what about the positive reviews? Do you, do you have to kind of place them both in the same place? Yeah. Again, um, just because somebody said like, you know, I have to I think it's important for me. I, you know, I try and stay very grounded. I take I don't I take on what people say. I take it on board. But just because somebody may give my album a nine out of ten doesn't mean that I'm now going to think I'm like, like the best, you know? Right. <laughs> We've got to stay grounded. We've got to stay realistic and always keep striving and keep working and trying to be the best I can be musically. And it's going to take a long time. Like I'm, you know, it doesn't happen overnight after a first album. It doesn't mean that I've made it and I've got it figured out. You've got to stay grounded and work really hard. It just means I have to work harder now. Right. Right. And, and, and it's true that, that, you know, like, like you were talking about in your, in your blog post about, you know, dealing with bullies when you were very young mm-hmm. and the press yeah. can be very bullying. And there's something about just other people's voices in general uh, mm-hmm. can sometimes be louder than we need them to be. Yeah, they definitely can be. And I think it's just, you know, finding a balance and just, again, just one person's opinion and I if it's you know I try and put them all in the same not in all in the same category but you know what I mean I'm not gonna you know I don't know sorry I feel like I've gone off topic a little bit no but we are human beings so like you know if nine yeah. people walk by you and say oh Rosie I love your hair and then the tenth person walks by and says what's happened to your hair you just think about that exactly. one right that is it's like what Radiohead said you know everybody could love the music but you get like one bad review or something like that and it, it is it is the one thing like like I said I got a, my first bad review with my album and it was like I was given a 6 out of 10 and you know they said something and it was quite a big journalist it was quite a big magazine and they were just like you know ah, it's background music I'm sure she'll write a better a better album and I was just like oh my god <laughs> Ouch. But then I just realized, you know, Joke's going to be on you, and hopefully one day when I'm very successful, I'll meet you and say hi. <laughs> Thanks for reviewing my first album and for giving me the motivation to be the best I can be. <laughs> exactly. I, you yeah. know, when I, my first book came out in 2006, it was on the Stone Roses, and I worked on it for, you yeah. know, two and a half years. And it came out, yeah. and the first review I got was this guy said, I can't believe this guy teaches university. <laughs> oh no, that's so mean. It was so People mean. People can be so shitty. Like, yeah, that's crap. I know. Oh god, you just have to take it with a pinch of salt, though, because again, the thing is, not everyone's gonna like it. It's so subjective, and some people as well. Like, I, de- I definitely believe some people. They don't even properly do their research. They may not even properly listen. Or they do and just don't like it. But sometimes I feel like it depends what mood they're in that day, you know? Right, exactly. Um, and, mm-hmm. and, and speaking of criticism, how are you with yourself? I mean, are how critical are you of your own work? In other words, when I, you are creating, like, are you, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, do you know, like, okay, this yeah. is not working. How do you balance yeah. the editorial with the creative? So I am... Um, the most critical of myself when it comes to my music. I'm, I can actually be quite hard on myself for my music. I've learned that I can sometimes be too hard for myself, which is not great, but I'm such a perfectionist when it comes to like the nitty gritty details of my music. Like if it's not working, then I'll just abandon the project. Be like, nope, not working. 
um, I used to just like try and dissect it and try and find out why it wasn't working and I would really irritate myself but you know I think it's also it can be quite healthy to be um, critical of yourself because then you can you know you're always striving for the best you always want the best for yourself but then you can also spend too much time trying to figure out what the best is you know yeah and there's that thing where you where you want to make that puzzle piece work even though you know it's not right and you're sort of just jamming yeah. it in i mean creatively mm-hmm. i've done a thing where i i follow ideas i know are going to lead me nowhere and i think yeah. as i've gotten older i've gotten better at not following those ideas mm-hmm. yeah completely i mean you just have to figure out what works for you and yeah how is your your process are you do you find you're becoming much more uh efficient as a songwriter do you have you figured yeah. out you know what I mean? So my my pro- my process has actually changed slightly. So I used to start with, I used to sit and just play the guitar and the words would flow. But now what I do is I, so I might, so my, with my new music, I'm trying to like really push my production and I've kind of, for the, so I've started writing my second album already. <laughs> wow. And I've kind of put my guitar down and I'm trying to like really, like I just said, push my production and, um, for me now, my process is so I come up with these. I come up with a melody on GarageBand. I just sit in a dark room <laughs> by myself on my iPad with my guitar there. Like I do still write on the guitar, but um, I like I will pretty much produce an entire track without melody or and words or any vocals. And then what I'll do is when I've done that, I'll like kind of sing a weird. I'll record myself singing. Uh, a melody line over the sorry a vocal line over the melody and I kind of like sing whatever words come to mind I feel like I like dip into my subconscious and then I listen back and I can like string together I can hear certain words that I've said and then yeah so my my process has kind of changed that way I feel like I've developed quite a lot and is that making you do you think you're getting to the heart of the matter a little bit faster Mm mm-hmm yeah Interesting. Do you are you one of those people who's always thinking about songs, always thinking about creativity? Yeah, I used to think that I wasn't, but I realized that I actually do obsess over music. Like it's all I think about. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I always have a song in my head. I'm always like thinking about my own music. I'm honestly ninety five percent of my my thoughts during the day is just about music, about what I'm going to do next, about what I'm doing, like everything I do. It's just, it's consumed by music, which is good because it's all I want to put my energy into, you know? Right. I find that the the creative life can sometimes get in the way of real life. Like you, you go, I got to pay that Mm -hmm. bill or hang out with that friend, but I kind of want to just work on my stuff. (laughs) Yes. I mean, I, I, yeah, I can be quite a recluse. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm quite an introvert anyway, but I do sometimes I need to socialize more because sometimes I do kind of just shut the outside world. Um, you know, I kind of shut it out and I just want to sit and write music, but you have to experience things in order to write the music, you know? Yeah. And I think a lot of writers confront the idea that like, we're really good at being alone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, it's, there's being alone and feeling lonely and then there's like solitude and I'm starting to realize that solitude is really good for you as a creative, but you can't isolate yourself from people around you, from things around you. Cause it's just, you know, like I said, you need, you need experiences in order to, 
go into that solitude and dip into your subconscious and then write you know so it's I feel like creatives can and it is quite a cliche as well you know but we can isolate ourselves unnecessarily thinking that that's the best thing to do in order to create when it's not always the best thing to do when you were younger were you one of those people that just devoted yourself when you're playing guitar and you were singing were you always at it yeah, I mean, when I picked up the guitar and I started learning, I would spend hours in our little music room in front of the computer uh, with YouTube up with guitar tutorials. I would spend hours just like learning songs and then writing songs. And I used to, oh my gosh, I cringe when I think about it because when I was young, like when I started, when I was playing the piano um, when I was about 12, my friends used to come over. I used to just want to play piano to them. <laughs> You know, which is not what, like, 12-year-olds want to do. Like, yeah, it was completely, like, nuts. I, I like that you sort of, you kind of tricked your friends into coming to your house concert. Yeah. yeah. It's like, here, come, uh, have a seat. I'll just play to you for a couple of hours. Yeah, and feel free to leave a couple dollars in that hat over there. Yeah. <laughs> you actually sound like your parents are pretty cool. They, it sounds like they were very supportive of what you were doing. I, I honestly can say I am blessed to have the coolest parents. They're very, I call them hippies, but they're, they're so liberal. And honestly, I could be cleaning toilets, but if I was passionate about that, they would have my back 100%. You know, they've always um, helped me and my sisters. They've always, they've always been, like my, my family are my strong point. Like they've always pushed us. They've always, not pushed us, but you know, do you know what I mean? Like they've always encouraged us. They've always been so supportive with whatever we want to do. They've always given us the space. They've never tried to make us do anything or uh, like pursue a career that they would rather us do. They've always just said, so long as you're happy, that is the main thing. Yeah, that's that is such an important uh, blessing to get from your parents. Oh my believe, God. You know, if they're yeah. not, imagine if they were the opposite. I mean, wow, that would, I just, I can't even imagine. I, I can't begin to imagine. It's, it's sad because I, I know people with parents like that, like people who, who really want to be a musician or, you know, act or do something in the creative industry and their parents are like, no, you have to do something more realistic, something that's going to pay the bills. And my parents, I'm just so blessed that my parents have never been like that. Money is like, it's just, you know, we've never had a lot. Uh, my family but we've always found a way to make things work and my parents have just they've kept me so grounded and they've taught me that happiness first and then everything else will fall into place you know so long as I'm happy with what I'm doing happy in my own skin that's the main thing yeah it's really it's a really beautiful sentiment can you tell me mm. a little bit about being Irish because I like if I listen to and, and I still think this album is brilliant, but Sinead O'Connor's you know I do not want album. Mm -hmm. You can hear it, and even actually in all of her music, you can hear her grappling mm -hmm. with centuries of what it means to be an Irish woman. Um, mm -hmm. You know, grappling with the church, grappling with sexuality, grappling with yeah. you know persona. Can you talk a little bit about your conception of? you know, of your own family history of being Irish and what that means. And if that's something that mm -hmm. actually uh, c comes out in your work. 
Yeah, so, well, <laughs> first of all, I, because the, it can be quite a taboo when, when, because I like to identify as Irish, and of course, I'm sure you can hear by my accent, I sound rather English. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I grew up in, in the south of England, in Hampshire, and we actually moved where we built our house. So my dad has built an eco-friendly house in Ireland, which we moved to in 2007. And I've lived in Ireland longer. And the plot of land where we built the house is where my grand, my granddad was born and raised, like his house is on our driveway. And we kind of brought them home. So <laughs> I just want to, I want to make that clear, you know, just because sometimes people are like, you're not Irish. What are you talking about? <laughs> you know, but they're definitely like, yeah, I mean, I'm sorry, I don't really, what was your question again? Well, just in terms of Irish identity, how do you conceptualize it and how do you respond to it in your own work or, or even just not in your work, just as your own personal identity with your family history? Um, that, I've never been asked a question like that before, like ever. So I don't really know how to answer that. <laughs> yeah, it's a tricky one. Because I know that... It I, is a tricky you one. You know? I mean, I know yeah. that, like, like you could hear Sinead just kicking against the authority of of what she was raised with and under. And I just wondered if that was something which informed mm -hmm. your sensibility at all. Well, it definitely is such a closed-off society in Ireland, you know. It's really, like, there is still very much a, such a struggle, especially being a female. And, like, you know, abortion rights, they've only just been made abortions have just been made legal in the past couple of years like that's crazy it's such i feel like it's really it's just such an old there's just such an old-fashioned perspective in ireland and i guess growing up there i felt that and i it definitely it was one of the things that left me feeling quite isolated and i feel like that definitely has come out through my music you know is that isolation and just even my granddad and hearing his stories of growing up there and just like he's he was um brought up being afraid of like he's so scared of death and dying and going to hell and just it's it's just so crazy to me um you know just how important religion is there and how it's put on this like pedestal and it's like the most important thing and it's just like it's just so old-fashioned and because I, I teach at a, at a catholic university here in mm -hmm. the bay area and even yeah. in contemporary 2019 liberal california mm -hmm. you can see a lot of these kids who were raised in catholic school um, their whole lives mm -hmm. they there there is the specter of the church is very powerful and it's you know and it's, it is right? yeah i mean i went to a catholic school myself um, I grew up, so I, when we lived in England, my, we were very religious. Like we would go to church once, sometimes twice a week, you know? Um, and then it was actually when we moved to Ireland to Donegal, which is, I feel like Donegal is the most religious county in Ireland. Like it's the most Catholic county. And, um, that was when we stopped going to church. That's when like my mom and dad were like, nope, screw this. This is not what we're going to do. This is not, <laughs> we are not going to like, we're not going to be a part of this and like, I've got such a spiritual family and, you know, yeah, it's just so, it's it's weird how it changed that way. It's just, there's like, and I, and I do like to go to church. Like I'm, I'm not religious at all and I have my own beliefs. I'm very spiritual, but it's just go, I, you don't get that kind of, you don't feel that connection or that, that safety net when you go to church in Ireland. It's more like, I don't know. It's really hard to explain. It's just daunting. It's like isolating and 
it's like you have to be there. You have to be there. You have to go show your face, you know? Right. Do you, do you, how do you self identify? Because I know I keep thinking about that Morrissey song, uh, Irish Blood, English Heart. Do you, uh, how do you self identify? It's been tricky. It's been really tricky. And I, and I'm still trying to figure this one out because although I feel more at home, like I grew up um, telling all my friends that I was Irish, I would identify as Irish, you know, when I was in school in England and I was known as, like, me and my sisters were known as, like, Irish people and my mum as well like she grew up in Cricklewood and in London which was a very Irish area you know it was a real strong Irish community there and she got a real hard time for being Irish like she got bullied for being Irish like she was known as like a a tinker or whatever right and then when I moved to Ireland I was bullied for being English and everyone was like no you like you blow an English person so it left me and my sister's kind of, and we're still getting over that. Like, well, who are we? Right. Like, what are we? It's really hard. We kind of, we kind of lost our identity for a while. But I, I'm still trying to figure it out. Like, I, I still, I, I do say I'm Irish. I do because I feel Irish and I feel so at home. And, you know, I feel like I can be myself when I'm in Ireland. And most of my growing emotionally took place in Ireland. And so that's why I associate home with Ireland. And that's why I I would proudly say I'm Irish, but it's just, it's such a tricky one because unfortunately there is still such a tension between England and Ireland. And, you know, not a lot of people would agree with me when I say that I'm Irish. (laughs) (laughs) Do you, uh, do you know, by the way, did you talk to your mother about her experiences being bullied? Like did that, did that something that she, shared with you yeah yeah she was my mum and dad have always been you know very open with us about that kind of stuff like she she was just she would like fight anyone who would who would question her identity like she was proud to be Irish growing up and you know she she does feel sad that it's happening to us now and like me and my sisters wouldn't have been as tough as my mum like we wouldn't have <laughs> fought <laughs> off anyone who would tell us otherwise but yeah, it's just it's such a it's such a weird one. Do you know the Morrissey song uh, "Irish Blood, English Heart"? I haven't actually heard that. No. So the the you should check it out. The lyric, the very first lyric, I think you'll really love. Um, he says, "Irish blood, English heart. This I'm made of. Mm-hmm. There is no one on earth I'm afraid of." Wow, the powerful stuff. I mean, mm. that sounds like it's it's feel, made for you. Yeah, I feel like I'm definitely resonating with that. I need to listen to this song. Yeah. It is, it's funny because you do have to be thick. Like, you have to be willing to, you know, deal with the consequences if you do say, if, especially if you're English saying you're Irish, people just will not agree with that. And I guess, you know, I am putting myself in that situation. I am kind of opening myself up to some criticism when I when I do say that, so... Well, do do check out that song. I think you might find it to be a source of inspiration. Definitely. Um, you uh, and I and I don't want to do this to you because it's a, it's putting you on the spot. I don't I don't want to do that. But I want to just sort of say yeah, that okay. to young people out there who have found mm-hmm. you to be so inspiring and your music is so beautiful. What what can what message can you give the young people who have gone through similar things that you've gone through? What message do you, do you think you can tell them? that will make them feel that they can get through it? Just 
I would say, well, I know when I was younger and when I wanted, when I was going through everything and I was so desperate to get advice from someone, I was so desperate for guidance, just, you know, be gentle with yourself, be kind to yourself, because there are enough people in the world who are going to criticize you. Um, but yeah, just, you want to believe in what you're doing. Like, I... And now I can still have my days. I still have my moments where I'm like, what am I doing? What am I doing? But you just have to be kind and just be patient with yourself and give yourself the space to grow. And if things aren't going well, you just got to trust that you're going to find another way and just, you know, don't let the opinions of others make you doubt who you are and what you're, what you're trying to do. You know, you don't want it to fog, to fog what you're doing or fog the perspective that you have of yourself or, you know, you want to, if you want to be authentic, you just have to trust what you're doing and, yeah, just be kind to yourself. Be gentle. Yeah, that's, that's beautifully said. I, You know, on this program, I interview a lot of people who have had careers that have been going on for decades. And it's such a treat to talk to somebody who is at this point in their career. It's so exciting mm-hmm. to think about the yeah, sort of thanks. limitless future that you have and your yeah. your album is just a straight up stunner i love it so much oh thank you thank you so kind <laughs> well Thanks. i'm glad you didn't become a florist <laughs> yeah me too oh god <laughs> me too <laughs> Isn't she the sweetest? I love Rosie Carney. What a nice person to talk to. And uh, what a beautiful album. Go get it if you haven't picked it up. It's really something else. If you want to see Rosie Carney live, find out where she's playing. Go to her website, rosiecarney.com. If you want to find out where I'm playing live, go to my website, alexgreenonline.com, or follow me on Twitter, at Ember's Editor, or follow me on Instagram, Ember's Podcast. Stereo Ember's The Podcast is available wherever you get podcasts. Stitcher, Last.fm, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, we are everywhere. So wherever it is that you listen, please subscribe and uh, maybe leave us a couple of stars. That kind of thing goes a long way these days. So thank you in advance for taking the time to write something nice about us. Oh, and if you're the writing type, write me an email, editor at StereoEmbersMagazine.com. Maybe you want me to get someone on the show I've not spoken to yet. Put in your request and I'll see what I can do. Let's close things off with another song from Rosie Carney's Bear album. This is called Winter. Enjoy it, and I will see you next time right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast only on Bombshell Radio. I watch the leaves fall down at night. There is no sound. sketch myself a new map But ooh, it must be lonely if I don't want to go Inside where you won't go home